0: Thank you for supporting our preaching workshop at Graymere Church of Christ. You can find all of our videos and presentations and materials at graymere.com slash preaching workshop. This was our first session of the day with Jeremy Barrier, who spoke to us on preaching through the book of Galatians. And this was our 2022 workshop recorded on February 28th. Wow, it's really great to be here with you today. I appreciate this opportunity. Andrew, I really appreciate it. I think the first time, Andrew, I met you, you were in a youth group, and, uh, and then the next time we met, uh, we were at church together, helping a little congregation that had an attendance of four on Sunday night. Uh, were they more than that by the time you came?
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: A little bit more than that? Okay, when I started, they had four, so. <laughs> so on Sunday night, so. But anyway, that was great, that was really great. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, I really love Columbia Uh, it's very difficult for me to to stand here some of the people some of the faces i know i'm 43 some of you have known some of my earliest memories i can identify you uh, with my earliest memories in in places like winona uh, mississippi or florence alabama i'm from florence alabama Um, i grew up uh, as a hillbilly and uh and i say that with endearment (laughs) and um, and at the same time i have two aunts and an uncle who live here in this town my grandmother spent the last 10 years of her life less than a mile from here in a nursing home my parents one of their first homes when my dad was co co-oping here in columbia was a quarter of a mile from here a little apartment they attended gray Mirror briefly this was around 1969 1970 i wasn't even a thought yet and uh, uh not for at least a decade and uh, so anyway, there's a lot of personal reasons that I like um, coming to this part of the country. And so it's, when, when that's the case, it's hard for me to actually cut through all of that. And, and, and Andrew's reminding me, oh yeah, we're supposed to talk about Galatians, and I'm, I'm like having a family reunion inside, <laughs> you know. And so many of you, I have such fond memories of so many of you here in a lot of different ways. Some of you as... My teachers, I'm so thankful uh, Dr. Blackwater gave me permission for today. Uh, uh, And this was awesome, because we haven't seen each other in quite a while. I can call him Mark. (laughs) 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 And so it's like, wow, what, you know? Because I remember, it was just like, your teacher has to give you permission, you know? And so some of you are are students of mine, and that's really awesome too. Some of you are my best friends from high school. Some of you are my coworkers. And so what a great group. Have y'all thought about this? This is an awesome group of people, and so if you don't know somebody around you, uh, get to know them. I'm excited because I'm actually already making new relationships today. I told somebody just yesterday that I don't actually know Chuck. We've been going in circles around each other for years through acquaintances, and so we have actually been in the same location at the same time, but I think today was the first time that we actually carried on a conversation of any length and it was awesome. It was really wonderful. Um, I, I totally understand why Kirk Brothers will travel with you. <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's just really great. Anyway, all of that. <clears throat> no, we're not talking about Ephesus today. Thank you, Monty. Um, I was in Ephesus in January of 2022 because I was pursuing more of my research that has to do with the Galatians and it has to do with the Apostle Paul, and I just thought I would walk us into some thoughts that will get us into Galatians in just a few minutes. But, be clear, I'm going to try to talk about Galatians sort of in a big picture type of a way, Uh, and then we have a QA and a session, so if there's questions that you have in particular, we'll have at least 30 minutes for me to tell you I don't know to at least 15 or 20 different (laughs) questions. So, you know, we can... But anyway, we'll try to talk about some of these texts in just a few moments. So I was there with a coworker of mine, and I'm really trying to whet your appetite and get you excited and get your mind thinking. <clears throat> if you can't see this photo real well, um, well, I wish that you could. Do you know what, the, anybody know what this is right here? I know we have pointers, but I'd rather, you know, I'm much more tactile. You might know what that is. You want to guess? It's not Ephesus. I know, I'm not giving you a lot to go on. Well, let's just pretend you're at Ephesus and then you get in a car and you drive inland directly to the east, uh, maybe two hours. This is what exists of Colossi today. It's Colossi. And the reason I'm showing you this is that's right. I don't know any of you who have a few million dollars to spare, but somebody needs to excavate this site. <laughs> Are y'all with me here? I mean, we, we've seen, we've got all kinds of stuff from Ephesus. It's been undug. There's an amazing museum there. Amazing curators. Um, all kinds of stuff you can see. But that's Colossians. And so, uh, Alex Bays. Some of you may know him. He was with me. We're underneath the foot of these mountains. We we drove up to this um, this field where uh, the evidence is is mostly what we saw on it was uh, goats roaming and eating, and there's agriculture all around it. This right here, you can't tell much of it. You can actually see the, some of the fruit fruit trees and uh, in the, the places where they're growing things around. It's flat around uh, Colossae, but this was um, a small uh, theater on the side of it. And uh, yes, I took this for a very specific reason. That's the only thing going on at, at Colossae right now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we need you. We need somebody who can put together a team, okay? That's standing on Colossae, uh, looking off in the distance. And if, if you follow this valley right here, um, the Lycus Valley, which will eventually uh, take you all the way back to Ephesus, You'll, you're, you're, we're very close to Laodicea at this moment, within eyeshot of Laodicea, and also within eyeshot of uh, Hierapolis. Hierapolis is one of the more fascinating locations, and this was uh, if it basically you, you're in this valley, and if you ascend the side of the valley, maybe about a thousand feet up, you'll be at Hierapolis, and it's 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 a really fascinating location. And Paul does, if I remember correctly, talks about it in Colossians. Maybe y'all can help me here. Uh, certainly y'all can help me here. Colossians four uh, and. Uh, But here's the main drag. You come in from the west, you go right through this area. All of these are. This is a cemetery, basically, and and it goes all the way to the other end. And you can continue this direction. You see all that white right there? These are. There's a hot springs. The only place I've seen like this in North America would be in Yellowstone, uh, where you can see these massive, basically whole hillside totally white. Uh, where, it's been, where those uh, bubbling springs are coming up, and they had uh, a bathhouse in the city here. There was another bathhouse here with the hot water coming up, and you can still go there today. There's a modern city that's been built just off the map, just below it, which has always intrigued me. I, first, I thought, why would they build it below it? Isn't it going to get buried? But, but they're channeling that water now to, for, for the hot springs, for the modern city. And then you can still walk around. Uh, this site mostly a big field with just a few things that you can see this is sort of the the cliffs uh, just you know coming at the very top this is where the city is located just to try to give you a little bit of idea and I and I am I'm intentionally trying to spark your interest in these types of things if you ever have the chance to see them to do it we were just there for uh, a couple of days and mostly for research this is the theater looking back towards that valley and um, just to give you an idea, so Alex and I, when we got done with that day, we sat down and, yeah, that's the height of the table. You know, the, I think it's about that high. And so it was around 9, 9.30 at night, last, only place that was open, and we were going to get a meal together, and they had really great Turkish tea, and, and then they had great little uh, hot chocolate. You can see how thick it is in the cup there, just uh, little Turkish delights, and then a lot of salad. And flatbreads and stuff like that. Some of y'all probably know Alex, but uh, that's him. So anyway, you can tell him you saw him uh, one way or another. But we enjoyed that meal. But the thing that really stuck out to me that I was looking for when I was in Turkey uh, had to do with Tim, here you go, evil eye. Uh, This is the evil eye right here. You can buy these just about anywhere for maybe a buck or less. But I bought one of these little bitty uh, teacups here that they'll serve you Turkish tea, and it's going to come to you in a cup that looks kind of like this. And notice it has eyes all over it, right? The evil eye. And that really draws my attention, um, really fascinates me. And it's all over Turkey, all over. But it's Galatians 3.1 in particular that kind of draws me into this, and this is where I'm kind of going with some of these things. Galatians 3.1, when Paul says, Who has bewitched you? Who has be- bewitched you? And this is one of those verses that really sparked my interest in uh, the Galatian letter. And uh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. So at some level, Paul is giving us this, this, uh, you have to use the mind's eye, there is um, the Galatians, the Galatian churches, And they're standing at the foot of the cross, and something is not allowing them to see Jesus on the cross. Okay? Something has bewitched them. And uh, another way of translating this, and this is an accurate translation, but it actually means a little bit less to us, but it's because it's more culturally rooted. Who has given you the evil eye? Who has given you the evil eye? And uh, so the evil eye is one of these things that uh, if, uh, it's used to protect you, but it also could harm you. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a whole lot to it, and we don't want to spend too much time talking about it because it'll take us too far afield, because this is something that you can see in a lot of cultures of the world today. The, in certain parts of South America, it shows up. It shows up in places like India or Pakistan or Bangladesh. In Southeast Asia uh, or in places like Malaysia, you'll see being masked uh, in order to push away evil. But it's really about um, people would be afraid that something can make you ill or sick or mentally ill. And Paul is saying, what has caused you to be standing at the foot of the cross and you can't see Christ on the cross? What caused that? Now, I'm speaking about it metaphorically, which is, which is enough for our purposes for what we're trying to do today. But I want you to imagine that. They had reached this situation to where they could no longer clearly see Christ. And that happens. That actually happens to us today. Um, a lot of times, and the problem with bewitchment, uh, if I could use that term, the problem with it is that it's kind of like driving down the road where you can't decide whether or not the fog's getting thicker or not. Y'all ever had that experience? You're like, huh, I'm driving at night, the fog, I think the fog's getting thicker. And then the next thing you know, if you really just stop and you think about it, you can't see but maybe five feet in front of you. And how did we get here? How did we get here? One time, uh, was, uh, another brother of mine had a very hard task. Um, we were headed off together to go to a place of business where another brother of ours, uh, we were going to sit down with him to have a talk with this brother. And so we got over there to a shop, and, we, and he allowed us to come in, and we sat down, and, and it, was, it was a very difficult, difficult conversation. This brother in Christ, who owned this shop, was married, and he also at the same time had a girlfriend. And we had been asked to intervene, and uh, so we went over there to sit down and talk to him and to try to talk some sense to him and to metaphorically slap him a little bit in a wonderful way, in a good way. Don't take that the wrong way. We were not there to rough him up. <laughs> you need somebody else to do that, I'll tell you, okay? Okay. <laughs> And uh, we sat down with him and we're, we're basically thinking, what's going on? What's going on, man? We need to talk about this. What, your wife is six months expectant. you know, this baby's going to be here soon and you're in the middle of this? What kind of crisis are You know, that's where we're going. And we sit down and I remember he had this glow in his eyes, this glow in his eyes. And you know what he wanted to talk about? He wanted to explain to us why his girlfriend was so great. I thought, we're not even on the same page. We're not even remotely on the same page about what we even want to talk about today. We're here for a moral crisis and a family falling apart, and you want to talk about the praises of your new girlfriend? Who has bewitched you, my brother? You you see what I'm saying? It happens. It happens. It happens to us sometimes. And that fellowship that we have with one another is critical. It's critical. Somebody's got to sit down and say, have you lost your mind? Because he had no idea. And his eyes were just glowing with excitement. And afterwards, uh, the other guy who's with me, he says, he said, did you see his eyes? And, 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 he, and this is not my terms either. These are his. He says, I've seen it before. It's called the crazy eyes. <laughs> said, well, whatever you want to call it, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. Now, here's the problem. The Galatian letter is written to churches. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's not to a particular church. There's no city called Galatia. There's a region called Galatia, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. And Woo! So we're going to have to move a little faster. (laughs) Okay. Um, There's churches. So this is one example of what we call a circular letter. Do you understand that? Paul wrote a letter and intended for multiple churches to read it. And this is our best example of that because he wrote it to the churches, plural, of Galatia. So apparently, not only do we have a situation that has overtaken not a brother in Christ, it has overtaken churches in Christ. Can you even imagine a problem that would be so great and so extensive that multiple churches are taken in by it? And in case you're wondering if you can or not, I can. I can think of one called COVID-19. Now, I'm not about to tell you how all of your policies in your congregations ought to have gone down. That's That's not what we're trying to do here. What I'm talking about is a fear has swept through our society and multiple churches have been directly impacted by it and people are absolutely terrified, okay? Whether they should or should not be is completely beyond the scope of what I'm concerned about. What I'm talking about is you have different varying levels of fear that have swept through And so, there are things that will come and they will completely radically change your congregation. And the question is, do you have the sense to see it? Now, the interesting thing about Galatians, in case any of y'all want to get really gung ho about blasting your church, like verses 8 and 9, where he basically says, Be accursed if you take anything other than the gospel of Christ. Keep in mind, Paul is an outsider. So, Paul has perspective that they don't have. Do y'all understand what I mean? He's an outsider, but he has the respect of basically an elder, okay, of the church. Now, once again, I'm not trying to give any of you permission to now write that letter and blast your neighboring congregation that you've just been dying to tell them what you think about them, okay? That's not what chapter 1 is for either. Paul has apostolic authority. Uh, None of us will ever have apostolic authority, Unfortunately, none of us will ever be able to, to directly say, I too speak with the Spirit of God, like he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So there are some limitations to our ministerial authority, but Paul was an outsider who had a very pivotal foundational role, as he talks about in chapter 4, when he says when he first came to them, right? And they would have given their eyes to him. Hmm, wonder what was going on with that evil eye talk, you know? But something has swept through that church. So we have a situation that comes up, and the question is, what was it that happened, okay? What happened? Well, you and I know that we don't know exactly what happened, okay? So we could spend a lot of time speculating, which we're not going to do because we don't have a lot of time. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to give you one or two ideas to just try to help you imagine what might have happened. And let me go ahead and tell you my my points, (laughs) So that when we don't get to them, <laughs> you'll know that we, what we intended to do. Okay, um, We're going to talk about the occasion. We were going to talk about the occasion of the letter today for a few minutes. And then afterwards, we were going to talk about how Paul wanted to respond to that occasion. And he responds in two different ways. He responds by teaching them on how to think about faith. How to bolster their faith. And then secondly, what he does is he tries to tell them how to model faith. And that's the chapter 5 part when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh and all that kind of stuff. He's basically saying, if you can't make sense of what somebody's saying, then why don't you look at the way they're living? Look at the way they're living. If they exhibit these fruits, then you know that each breath that goes in and that each breath that goes out is, is God working within them. And if you see these other things... You know, they're like a person who's basically holding their breath, and they're just flesh. They're just a body with no spirit, okay? And they'll have these types of characteristics. Those chapters, by the way, would be more helpful to us as ministers if we had the slightest clue what licentiousness meant, right? You know, all of these words that have like five syllables. You know, Paul gives these lists of like, don't do this. And you're like, well, I don't think I've ever used that word in my entire life, so I don't think I'm doing it. Well, maybe we just need to sit down and redefine some of those words, and then that'll give us a little bit better bearing on how we can size people up, and not for the sake of making eternal judgment, but for trying to decide to, how to discern and discriminate what they're telling us. That's what, that's what he's trying to do. And then last but not least, this is the point that we might make if we get to it, is after he says, uh, here's what, I, what happened Secondly, here's how you ought to think about it. Third, here's how you ought to behave and act. And, and then last but not least, when, when you all as Galatian churches recognize what's been said, then we're going to have to do damage control. You're going to need to learn how to uh, interact with each other. And all of you who have just been ready to let them have it, you can't do that. You've got to help them come back into the faith gently. Um, It's going to take some humility because your arrogance might actually lead to your own downfall. And then last but not least, he'll give a recap of his major points. And uh, and then we'll make an uh, an application uh, for us. So I'm trying to talk about the overall letter. The problem with Paul is that he's uh, no disrespect in mind, but for my very linear mind, he's very disorganized. He doesn't, he doesn't do what I just did, and, and I'm so glad that he doesn't because I'm not Paul. I mean, I'm like A, then B, then C, then D, then E, and he's like, let's do A, and then let's just do D next for the fun of it, and then let's do half of B. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's kind of how it reads, and, uh, and all of his letters do that, and you just have to get used to that. The Occasion. Well, the most direct... that We'll use the map in a minute. The most direct occasion is told to us in chapter 5, verses 2, when we have one concrete piece of evidence for talking about what had happened in Galatia. Whatever you do, don't get circumcised, is what he says in chapter 5. Now, that was a paraphrase. Verse 3, verse 2, uh, Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obliged to obey the entire law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is the fall from grace passage. And so if you don't really understand what we're talking about, I think you do. But uh, we, we still practice, uh, most uh, people in our country still practice circumcisions on males. There, is, there are circumcisions that are carried out on females too or parts of their genitalia are removed. He's not talking about that. Jews have never been in the practice of doing that. It's called uh, female genital mutilation. It only takes place normally today in certain parts of Africa. But he is talking about male circumcision, which is talking about the remo- removal of the from the from the penis. And that's what they would do for ritual reasons. And this is actually done in a lot of places on the planet still for females or males for ritual religious reasons. Now, we don't really do that much today. Uh, we still do it in our culture, and we all think that there's a medical benefit to it, but that's probably a huge wash. There's probably not. Now, I'm not trying to get off. I don't want to spend the next four, 30 minutes in our Q&A talking about that, but, but you, can, you can grab me afterwards. But this is a ritual activity that would be done. And in this case, they were probably talking about not just doing it upon uh, infants or children, males. They were probably talking about doing it to adults. Now, what the impetus was that encouraged some of them to do this, that's what we're we're not completely clear about. So we have to use our imagination. And in order to do that, once again, there's several competing theories on this. But uh, here we are down in Galatia. Paul had come, Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas had made their way up to Galatia where they preached in Antioch and then also in Iconium and then later also Lystra and Derbe. And uh, this is where we read about the foundations and from his own words he talks about it just a little bit in Galatians chapter 4. In the latter half of the chapter right before the allegory, I think beginning around uh, verse 12 is when he talks about his experience of founding the church in Galatia. And uh, at that time, nothing was going on that we know of. Paul starts the work. He leaves uh, Acts chapter 15. In the last few verses of chapter 15, in the first few verses of chapter 16, we realize that Paul then uh, takes a land route. The first time he ever came, you know, he's coming up from right here up into Galatia. I'll just use my finger I'm this close. Second time, as best we can tell, he starts from his home area of Tarsus goes into the mountains through the Cilician Gates, and there's basically a major road that will take you through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and if you so were inclined, you can continue to take it this way, and then over here you would hit Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, and then you could even go as far as Ephesus, and we have pretty good indication that that's probably what Paul intended to do because he's hitting the major cities along this major highway, okay? He's hitting those major cities, but the Holy Spirit doesn't allow him, and he goes this way. And eventually ends up on the coast over here in Troas, which was the ancient Troy. And, uh, and that's all of that we read about in the book of Acts. That's the first few verses of chapter 16. Then sometime after that, <clears throat> we're talking about some, we're in the, the late 40s, you know, if you want to put dates on it. We don't have exact dates, 47, 48, something like that. And uh, close to the time of Acts 15, you know, the council, all of that's all looming. This issue of circumcision is really coming to the fore where, if you had never thought about this, the very first Christians like Paul, if you were to sit Paul down and have an interview with him, and you you were to start out the interview and say, hey Paul, so tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, where are you from? Oh, I grew up in Tarsus, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you fill in, you know that's about as far as I can go with it. <laughs> and uh, So what's it like being a Christian? Paul would then go, come again, come again. I'm not quite sure I heard you right. Paul, tell us what it's like being a Christian. Uh, I don't really know what you're trying to ask me. You know, you know, you, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, yes. And he's the Messiah, right? The anointed one of Israel. Yes, yes. So you're a follower of Christ. Yes, I'm a fo- I love being a follower of Christ. So what's it like being a Christian? I don't know that term, brother. I don't know that term. Now, what are you getting at? Paul never heard the term. No, I'm not trying to say never heard the term Christian. But if you look at Paul's letters, he never once uses the word Christian. Have y'all ever noticed that? And in fact, when we read about it in Peter, is it was it 1 Peter chapter 4? Uh, the first time, one of the first places we read about it, it's actually used with a pejorative sense. So he's like, if you ever have to suffer for being called a Christian, don't worry, it's not a bad thing. As if we all thought it was bad to be called a Christian. And then, of course, we read about it the other time is in the book of Acts, right? So what I'm trying to tell you is in Paul's mind is he's, full, what Christ did when he came is that he's fulfilling all the expectations of Israel. So when you see Paul go from town to town in the book of Acts, he's going from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, right? And only when he's forced out of those synagogues does he do so. But as best we can tell from the data from Galatians as well as Acts, Paul's coming to Galatia, he's preached in synagogues. A whole group of them have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. However, something that has allowed them all to meet in the same location, even if some of them come a little bit more on Saturday, and some come a little bit more on some Sunday. Something has actually increased the tensions. That's what we don't know. We could speculate. Some people say that, that uh, maybe the flu came through and started killing off half their kids, and they all got scared, and they all went back to their ritualistic doctors and says, what do I need to do to fix this? And their doctor said to him, well, the first thing I've noticed is you've stopped, you've st- y'all people have stopped uh, circumcising your kids, and y'all have always done that. Why did y'all stop doing that? Because you, of course, know that you need to circumcise your kid if you want your kid to be safe and well and healthy. Well, we don't know that's what happened. It could have happened. Some people have pointed out that, you know, I don't know, This is a little, uh, I'll say it and then I'll say it in a longer way. Some people think that they were beginning to feel more civic pressure from the Roman government. Because Jews were actually a legitimate religious group and Christians were not. If they, if they were going to move out of the synagogue, they no longer had any legitimacy with the government. And so some people have speculated, well, they came back to the leaders of the synagogue and said, hey, we're starting to get a little bit of flack. They're wanting us to start performing sacrifices in these temples to the Caesar and the, uh, the, this temple that we have here to Artemis or whoever, you know. Uh, And we don't want to do it, so we've got to come under your umbrella legally under this synagogue. And so they all got together and had a little powwow and said, well, you can join our synagogues if you'll start circumcising all of your adult males, because that's what we do. Now, we don't know that's what happened, but something like that of that magnitude must have happened to cause them, in mass to start talking about in multiple churches Something as crazy as circumcision from the... I mean, think about that. What if I said, hey, guys, I had a revelation from God. We've all got to cut off our pinky if we want to be faithful to God. All right, but if you want to, I've got some doctors lined up out here. It won't hurt. I've got some anesthesia. Y'all good? you are like, no, thank you. Right? So this is a serious thing. It would have taken a lot to get them to do that. But they did, and Paul is pushing back. Paul is pushing back. A little bit of background on Galatia. Wow, this is ridiculous. <laughs> not, not you. <laughs> uh, the, the time moving. But you know, Galatia, let me just put to bed one or two things. This whole North Galatia thing, y'all can just forget about it now. You don't need to know that anymore. Just to, you're, you're like, really? What? What are you talking about? That's been decided. It's been decided. Uh, there's all kinds of evidence from Scripture and outside of Scripture that are now suggesting that Southern Galatia is the target we need to be talking about for the Galatian letter. You don't have to believe me if you want to. That's totally fine. But I'm just trying to tell you once you start digging in, that's what you're going to find out. Um, So Paul, as he did this work in South Galatia and places like Antioch, Lystra, they had actually been in possession of the Roman government from around the year 25 B.C. when the last two kings of the Galatians Diodorus and Amentus turned over their keys to uh, Augustus Caesar, and that's when he started a massive campaign to rebuild this part of the country and make it Roman. So by the time that Paul's walking those streets in Antioch, we're talking about 50 years into a major building campaign, okay? Very Roman. Uh, so, what we have here is Jews that had been brought into Galatia probably 200 years, 250 years before this as migrant workers. We have native Gauls who are considered barbarians. They're oftentimes portrayed as long haired and with mustaches. The dying Gaul was the symbol of the failing warriors that they had conquered. It's similar to what we oftentimes characterize as the Native American Indian warrior. Wow, how impressive! And just amazing. Look at his strength, but he's vanquished. Isn't that, isn't that the way we present it in pop culture? So that's the Gaul. That's the Gaul. And then, what, as best we can tell, just before the time of Paul, two of the most important Roman legions, Roman legion number five, uh, called Galatica. Uh, no, that's the, that's the name of a movie or a TV show. Uh, is that right? Galatica? I think it is. Galatica. Gaul, it's Gauls. Uh, Galatica, and then you also have Legio the Seventh Claudia. These were two different legions that were formed. The first one by Julius Caesar, he formed it from soldiers coming from this area. That's right, we're talking about northern Spain. The other legion, Claudia, came from this region up here. We're talking about northern Italians. They had come through there and been given massive land grants, and so we think that that may have been part of the mix of the population. We're talking a, a, about a very homogenous group of, um, not homogenous, the opposite of that, non-homogenous group of people all mixed together. So we're not talking about Galatians 3.1 referring to some very uh, specific Gallic people uh, who were just barbarians. We're talking about a real mixed group of people. And it's amazing, it's amazing enough, you know, we always ask the question, did Paul's mission here actually succeed? Um, well, we think it did. If you look... Uh, Between the years uh, 200 and 500 A.D., and you look in this region right here, the two most prominent Christian names on burial tombs, the name for for, for a woman would be Thecla, who was a very, very prominent apocryphal disciple who, who, apocryphal meaning the text is apocryphal, who lived here. Her name is the most popular female woman for Christians. What about males? Anybody want to guess? Paul, Paul, Paul. So what am I trying to tell you? These churches continued to thrive all over. There's a big gap in time for what we get to read about them. It's the Cappadocian Fathers the next time we really get a very significant group of people writing and thinking from this part of the world. But his mission succeeded is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, and on top of that, just I'm, I'm giving you one or two other details, and then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wrap it up couple things that I think you'd be interested is the reason I'm telling you why did Paul ever go there why did Paul ever go there to begin with well he was here before there right do y'all remember the name of the uh, governor here Sergius Paulus right and we all debate is that why Paul started calling himself Paul you know well we don't know but maybe he actually owned a bunch of family land up here isn't that funny? We speculate that, that Sergius Paulus actually gave Paul letters. He said, hey, you need to go talk to my family. They're going to need to hear this, and I want them to know that I like it. Don't know that, but there's a bunch of land up around Antioch. Not only that, here's some, something else cool. Romans chapter 15. You remember how Paul said that after he was going to come to Rome, he wanted to go on somewhere else? Do you remember where he wanted to go? Spain. Spain. Do y'all remember where I was telling you? There's some really good articles on this, if y'all ever want to read them. Remember how, what I was telling you about where a lot of the Roman citizens came from? Who were living here? Spain. Came from Spain. It's very likely Paul was making Spanish contacts while he was ministering in Galatia. Isn't that cool? I mean, I think that's just exciting. That's so exciting. But anyway... Since we we don't really have a whole lot of time, let's just go ahead and get finished. So the occasion, circumcision, being drawn back into these ritual practices, and Paul pushes back, and I'll say it, I'll have to say it quickly. He gives them teaching in chapter 2. You need to have more faith in Christ. Now, it's kind of like this. Once again, I'm not trying to get too heavy in modern doctrinal issues. But just think about it, the way I say this, and, and please don't misquote me. Baptism doesn't save you. God saves you through baptism. Did y'all catch that? It's real important. It's real important. Faith doesn't save you. God saves you through faith. There's a big difference between the two. And the difference is, in the same way... I could very easily say i can't save you now we're all on the same page right i can't save you but god can save you through my hands burying you in baptism y'all ever thought about that so misplacing who gets the credit for saving you is pretty significant and in fact we have a real big word for it blasphemy okay (laughs) and so what's paul's big beef with circumcision that they have misplaced their trust in god and the reason this is important because it's not that paul hates circumcision in fact if you look in chapter 5 i know chapter the very end chapter 6 verse 15 and chapter 5 verse 6 notice he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing he what is he saying he says i don't care if you're circumcised or not all of you people who have Jewish descent, go ahead. You've been doing it for ages. I mean, it's part of your heritage. It's kind of like today I'll say, hey, if any of you have any babies coming up in the next week or two, your doctor's going to ask to the circumcise them. It's fun. It's fun. I don't care. We've been doing it for a long time in this country. But it's not going to save you. You know, that's kind of what he's saying. So it's not that Paul has a split personality where on the one hand he says, you better not be circumcised, and then over here he says, but it doesn't matter if you do. What he's trying to say is don't misunderstand who saves you. God saves you through the activity of Christ, and you need to trust that. That's what the trust is about in chapter 2. And he gets all into the law, and he talks about his main example throughout the whole book is pulling from examples from Abraham. And he does it once again in chapter four, in what you and I oftentimes think of as a real weird passage, verse 21 down through the end of the chapter, where he compares Abraham and uh, he compares Sarah or the free woman and Hagar to these two mountains. And it's it's basically a midrash. It's a Jewish midrash on this passage of scripture, where he's trying to uh, basically help them understand that you've misplaced once again. I'm totally oversimplifying. You've misplaced where you get your salvation from. You're getting it from God. And then, this is, that's the major teaching idea. You, you folks need to bolster your faith in God. Now, that'll preach right there, okay? That will preach. And then secondly, he says, now, if y'all are still trying to sort this out, y'all need to start looking at people who have the Spirit of God in them. Paul first starts talking about the Spirit of God in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, when he talks about the contrast between the works of the law and those who are being supplied with the Spirit. This is a real, real important metaphor, and we don't have to get too deep into the Holy Spirit today either for a lot of different reasons, but it's real simple. Okay, it's kind of like this. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay, if you don't do that, you die. (laughs) Okay? That's the language of the Spirit. Okay? In Scripture. If you don't do that and it's God, then you die. Right? You're just flesh. You're just flesh. Now, you might all lead us to believe that you're somehow getting by and you're functioning. No, but you're going to have a massive spiritual heart attack if you don't start breathing. You see what I'm saying? You can't fool God. You can't fool other people. You either live in the Spirit or you don't, or you will go bankrupt spiritually. That's just it. That's Paul's point. And he says, you start looking at the people around you and you start sizing them up with the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh, and you're going to learn loads about what they're saying just by what you see. And that's true. That's true for us today. That'll preach as well. And then finally he does give the recap uh, in chapter 6, just after he gives that passage that's several verses in there are a little bit weird and difficult for us to understand because, you know, you know he talks about uh, those of you who have received the Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. So... You've got to go bear one another's burdens, but don't do it too much because if you do, you're going to get overwhelmed, and so just make sure you carry your own load. And so we're, we're all left going, like, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to help people or not help people? He, he's basically saying as this whole situation unravels, one of the mistakes that we oftentimes make is we assume that we are the stronger one spiritually. That's the mistake. You might actually be the stronger one. But you should always be aware of the frailty of human nature is really what he's trying to get at. And so even if you're going into a, uh, after a crisis and you're trying to help, I mean, you won't be the first person who shows up at a burning house to save somebody and then gets consumed by the fire if you're not careful and if you don't know what you're doing, right? I mean, you might have had the best intentions. But that's kind of what that whole bit is about where he's saying, no, you need, to, you need to try to help people, but at the same time, you need to try to be aware of who you are and your own limitations. And then and with that in mind, y'all can get through this. And then uh, y'all stick together, verse 6 of chapter 6. You know, if you've got somebody who's been teaching you and they've been teaching you well, you need to stick to the good things that come out of that. Be good to the household of faith. You know, that's, that's something, if, if you just don't remember anything else, <laughs> you should always be asking yourself, am I doing something that is good to the household of faith? And you'll answer a whole lot of questions with that right there. Yeah. And the problem is, sometimes what you need to be doing is not asking yourself that. You need to have the humility to go ask somebody else whether or not your intentions are good. Because mm-hmm. I can lie to myself in 10,000 ways. I'm really good at that, right? Right? So that's kind of what he, he's pulling for. Okay, I, uh, I, I know. Okay, I, I really will be done now with this brief story. Story about faith. I'll give you the real short version. Um, I remember, I guess it was, I can't remember the year, I think it was 2006, and there had been a cyclone that had hit the coast of Burma, which was an unusual occurrence for it to hit there. It was kind of like when a, a, a cyclone is basically a hurricane, right? And it's kind of like when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in just that way with just, you know, all of the right perfect storm dynamics. Well, that happened in in Burma uh, in terms of top 10 worst places to be in the world in terms of governments and poverty. You know, Burma's in the top 10. It's one of those kind of places, which means they don't have the infrastructure to deal with things like that. And that storm had hit... And um, they had a tyrannical government who was thrilled about it because it had hit, it's a, it was a Buddhist based government, and the storm had just raked over the Baptist, the strongest Baptist stronghold of the country. The government was ecstatic about this because, I mean, he had just taken care of their problem. Nobody's going to be accusing them of human rights violations, no genocide. Storm's doing it for us. So anyway, they closed the borders to all foreigners coming in. And, and by the way, modern Burma, pray for them. The church is struggling intensely there right now. They've been under martial law lockdown. You can't fly into Burma right now. Um, and we, we, they are communicating with us through uh, social media and whatnot, but... Anyway, digression, but an important one. Pray for Burma. And uh, similar situation, though, and nobody was being allowed in. The French had brought this massive battleship up to the coast with tons of food, tons of bags of rice and goods, and they're sitting there right on the harbor. Government won't let them unload a thing. One week goes by. And if you do any type of crisis control in terms of natural catastrophes, week one is huge. Week one is really huge. They don't let anybody come in. Week two goes by. Nobody's come in. Now we're into week three. My brother, Joey, and I, we're on a plane. We're on the first airplane flying into the country. And uh, we've got about 60000 bucks in our pockets. Terrified. Church has sent money with us. And I said, Joey, I said, this is weird because everybody on the plane is reading an itinerary and you and I don't have one. And the plane had been stacked full with UN workers who were there to begin the process of international aid. And they were irate, furious. And I remember the tires hit the tarmac and we began to land and at that very moment, six people jumped up out of their seat and this is after 9 11 okay and i'm like they jumped out of their seat when they're not supposed to be up we're still rolling uh the the the, the workers there are saying sit down sit down you're not supposed to be up the attendants, you know and and i said joey what is going on and and one of the guys is getting his bags out and that flight attendant comes over and says sir you've got to sit down and he just starts screaming at her he says We've been waiting three weeks to get into this country. Three weeks, and they're starving and they're dying, and I'm not going to sit down. And so he's getting his bags, and, and Joe and I are just, you know, we're just kind of trying to get smaller <laughs> in our seats. And everybody unloads off the plane. And I remember Ban Ki moon, he was the, what, what do you call it, the president of the UN at the time. He flew in on his own jet that day, and we saw him with like this huge military cavalcade, you know, just leading him in in limos, and they're going in to try to negotiate to get all of this worked out. And, I mean, all of this stuff was going on, and we're, it's just Joey and I, and we're just showing up at the, the 8 Mile Church, and we sit down with a group of people and say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, you know? We've got all this money. We want to start buying food. We want to help, and we start, we start buying stuff. Start buying food, start trying to distribute it. The government's trying to stop us at every level. I mean, we're putting it on trucks. They're saying no foreigners. They're saying you can't carry it here. You can't take it there. I mean, day and night, day and night, we're just trying to do everything that we can. And I hope, I hope you can appreciate this, but standing in the middle of a country with that much money on my body and I can't do a thing. That was really, really frustrating. It was not only frustrating, but it was a spiritual crisis. Where is God? I remember seeing the pictures and the images from some of our friends who came back from those first few weeks, and there's dead bodies everywhere everywhere nobody's cleaning them up we're talking about eight nine ten days into this and they're just laying out hanging in the tops of trees we're talking about disease and and i'm saying we're here god we're here i thought i was your hands i thought i was your feet why can't we do anything and i just remember i thought about it and i thought about it and i thought about it And my faith got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it finally died. And then I realized that my faith in myself had just died. My faith in myself had just died. Because for the first time in my entire life, I realized that only God can work in a situation like this and fix this. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. We need God. We need God. And uh, Paul was telling them, you need to have more faith. You need to have more faith. Trust God. Trust God. He'll get you through this. He'll get your churches through this crisis, but you're going to have to trust Him. And do not... Do not embarrass yourself by trying to tell God that these little rituals that you've come up with are going to be the solution. Oh, please, please. We can do better, can't we? (laughs) And I'll tell you, the end result of that story, the church has grown exponentially in Burma, just so you know. Because not only did I realize that we're in a crisis and we needed God, guess what they were realizing? they were realizing that they were in a crisis and they needed something more. They needed something more. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your scriptures. We thank you for your letter to the Galatians. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. It just speaks to our heart in so many ways. The message where you're trying to bolster our trust in you is just overwhelming. It is challenging. We, we want to do so much in your service. We ask for your guidance, for your strength. We're so thankful for today. This is awesome. To you be the glory for these things. Bless each and every person who's come today in our walk with you as we seek to serve you and give you honor and to help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I think it's Q&A Q time. <laughs> so Q&A means question and answer. So I ask the questions, <laughs> and you give the answers. <laughs> or we could say we could have QAC time. Comments welcome too. Hmm. Does anybody have anything that you want to uh, ask about or talk about? And I don't know the length of time. I forgot.
2: You, uh, you yeah. mentioned uh, your last last statement there was, uh, last two statements mm-hmm. was that, number one, you realized that with all the money you had on your person, with all the good intentions that you had, with your, the faith that you had in, when you had coming into the situation and then slowly with frustration, losing some of that faith. Yeah. And then your last statement that others realized that they needed more. Okay. So my question to you is with your feeling and their feeling, how do you bring those two together? Your feeling of, I can't do anything. I have all this money, but I can't seemingly do anything with it. These people here saying, I don't know what it is that I need, but I need more. How do you bring
0: those two together yeah i think and i think what they realized that one of the things that begin to occur to me with my very western north american mind is is that people in of course i can't speak for all the people of burma <laughs> that goes without saying right but from my read on the situation and the read on them and my experiences with them they have an acute sense and awareness that they need more meaning God. They don't need more stuff. They, they need more trust in God. And that's what I needed too. Uh, just this morning, I think, Bruce said it very well when he was talking about one of the things sometimes we don't realize in North America is we have a great sense of trust in God as well as the Murray Hospital uh, right over here too, right? What do, you, what do we mean by that? Well, we have these huge security blankets wrapped all around us where we don't oftentimes have to deal with real health care concerns or issues because we have so many layers, so many layers. But, you know, when I interact with people who are day laborers, meaning, you understand what I mean, I get up this morning, I hope I don't have a head cold because I must work, and then sometime around 330 we will buy food and we will cook it and we eat today because of that. And tomorrow, if I get up and I can't get out of bed, we don't eat today. There's a whole different level of trust in God going on there. You know. And I think that's what I was just beginning to tap into. Where I was just like, wow, I can't, I can't fix this. And I would even say I was tapping into it as a surface level. Why? I was still a farmer with $10,000 in my pockets with all the access to food that I needed until I went home at my hotel, (laughs) right? So I was uh, beginning to realize something that they had known and had known for quite some time, you know, and that was challenging. Go ahead, yeah.
2: Um, Seems like I heard you say or intimated, and I don't know how, can you explore this for me, uh, that the problem was more local. Mm. rather mm. than some external influence coming in. Would you mm. comment on local versus external or both end? Yeah, that,
0: that, that's really good and I can comment on it and give just a really lousy treatment of it uh, with this amount of time. I think one of the, the dominant theories that is um, in the research right now is that there were, quote, Judaizers or irritators, agitators, or oftentimes they're called, who had come in from the outside and what people were thinking was this must be some of the great, some of the same missional groups that we see in the book of Acts. Um, part of the, which could be possible, could be possible. However, there's nothing about the way Paul describes them at any point within the letter to suggest that they're outsiders. Uh, the example that he gives in Galatians chapter 2 of Gal, uh, from Antioch is actually is an example from Antioch. So you can extrapolate that. Whoever stirred that up were the same people who stirred it up in Galatia. But the reason I say that is, is really what I'm saying is we should take a step backwards on that one. Uh, we can't just assume it's all the same people and they're all trying to do the same things. And if you do that, here's the reason why I've done it. It, it, it gives you more options to try to understand why they were even having the crisis to begin with. Um, so I don't. that's kind of a... Probably uh, a rough, tri- you know, rough explanation of that. But there's nothing in Galatians, though, that actually suggests they're outsiders. That's where that's the starting line. Go ahead.
1: Um, okay, uh, with uh, you know, with with, with the way you talked about this and focusing kind of the fog, you know, the evil mm-hmm. you know, just being uh, brought into a state, you know, where you're not seeing things spiritually the way you should of course, we know we've all seen that in individuals that have been, we've been in ministry long enough, we've seen that in individuals a number of times, but, yeah. uh, and certainly in whole churches, whole countries, cultures, etc. cetera. Uh, so um, would this, I say this just from a kind of a side issue interest in the debates in the scholarly community between the old perspective on Paul the new perspective on Paul, particularly as that relates to Galatians, whether the primary concern, you know, is about you know, the doctrine of justification through faith or, or whether the concern is about identity markers and those sorts of things if you follow where I'm going with this. Would you say then that that understanding this as the problem would would kind of uh, I guess maybe maybe combine those two things as as parts of a problem but really focus on the issue of justification by faith as the actual primary concern of Galatians? Or am I missing something there?
0: That's a great question. That's a tough one. All right, next question. <laughs> um, you know, I like, I haven't haven't thought about the way you're talk, talking about it. I don't really know if I have a good, good answer for you. I would I did center on um justification by faith, but I think not in the traditional sense that that's used. Um, you know, the whole Martin Luther <laughs> Yeah. Okay, don't quote me there. I just referred to the whole Protestant Reformation movement as that whole Luther thing. You know? Like, <laughs> you know? As if it's not significant or something. But uh, but anyway, I, I would say I am focusing on faith, but uh, I don't think I'm going in that direction. The traditional battle lines that we've talked about. Um, I do... I am also... Pushing away from the idea that Paul is rejecting Judaism, I am pushing away from that. He is—he is, he is reject—he is yes, overtly rejecting it there. But it's not because he's rejecting Judaism. That—that would be anachronistic, uh, or you know, doesn't—it's like talking about Jesus driving a Ford or a Chevy. You know, it's just not something that w- he would have even entertained. Uh, and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm trying to. I'm really trying to understand why he was pushing away from it, you know, and I think it does move us back in that direction of, he wasn't against Judaism, he was against systems that would, any system that draws you away from Christ is what he's he's really doing. So it's really more about who he's for than it is about who he's against. I wish I could answer you better. I will be able to probably around 2.30 a.m., you know, when... When it's all been, been able to sink in a little bit more.
1: <laughs> I'll send you an email. About <laughs> That'll be good. That'll be good.
0: I'll be looking for it. <laughs> Anything else? Yes.
1: You spoke of Paul having written like A and then E and then part of B. Is there any evidence that perhaps the Galatian letter is a composite of letters rather than one letter written all at the same time?
0: Oh, that, I'm so glad you asked that because <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the easiest one to, you know, like, yeah, I, I, some of these other books we have today, they, you know, they might have to dance a little bit more, but there's like nobody who says anything other than Paul wrote Galatians. Uh, and in fact, th- th- no, there's...
1: But I meant written by Paul, but...
0: But it's one letter. And that is one letter.
1: One, one letter. Yeah, one
0: letter, okay. one composition. Yeah, and so it's... It's a, it's a jewel, you know, jewel for me anyway, in, in that sense. But anyway, it's, it's not tricky. It's not, that one's not tricky. Uh, I, I can't think of, I think there's been like one person uh, who's talked about it. One, one reputable scholar proposed the idea that Paul might not have wrote it, but nobody's ever even raised the idea that I'm aware of that Galatians is not one letter. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
1: Is it his earliest letter?
0: Oh, that's, I really want it to be. I, uh, <laughs>
1: I, I
0: tried so hard to make that happen, and uh, I just don't think I can. Uh, I don't have that power. Uh, I think 1 Thessalonians is his earliest. Um, I, and I do, I do think that, um, the, uh, yeah, I think there's a uh, commentary by, was it Funk maybe, or who, who wrote that? And I just no, 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 no. I just, I, I wanted to. I was so excited to read it, and, uh, but anyway. But I do think Galatians was probably written closer to the time of uh, Romans, but not at the same time. There, or if it was the same time, there are some clear developments of thought in Romans that are not in Galatians. That could be explained contextually, or you know, meaning things were going on in Rome that he needed to address, and so he added little details here and there. But or it could. Um, it's, you know just a different situation or it could be just from not the same amount of time so originally i thought it was it was the earliest um and one of the reasons i thought that was i don't know if you ever noticed this but galatians uh, in galatians resurrection of the dead plays essentially no significant role in the whole letter uh similar to uh, where the gospel of mark is the one that dumbs down resurrection significantly and when it, when it dumbs down resurrection, it, it doesn't say that it doesn't believe in it. That's not what I'm saying because I think it's Galatians 1.4 he talks about it, but it's kind of one of those little bitty quick creedal whip-off formula type things he, he does. It means that, that it's not significant for his thought when he wrote the letter. What's significant in Galatians is what we all know, Galatians 2.20, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody want to quote it for me? Crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. So being crucified with Christ... It is more important because the Galatians are apparently unwilling to go through a trial, and Paul is criticizing them for not having enough faith to trust that God will take them through whatever trial comes about by them facing whatever obstacle it would be, and they don't need to resort to something like circumcision. So originally I thought that must mean it must be early, but I just couldn't couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't Couldn't make it be proven. <laughs> You know, it's a good question. Any, anything else? In,
1: is yeah. two twenty is the key verse of Galatians?
0: Oh, that's a uh, wow! I don't know. Okay. You know, that's a real good question because um, I don't know what the key verse is. But uh, I'll think about that. I mean, I don't have an opinion. You know. I'm really attracted to three one, but but that's not the that's actually the key negation, <laughs> you know. Don't don't be bewitched, you know. You fools, you know. Yeah, that's not really like it. I would hope the key verse would be you fools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, <laughs> right, right. So yeah, what's the counter to three one? You know, <laughs> maybe it is two twenty because it's leading right up to it. You know, his great epiphany of two twenty leads him to go, wow, we're in the glories of being crucified crucified with Christ. Isn't this awesome? And then you realize he's on the mountaintop by himself. Nobody's with he's like, where did you guys go? You know? What about 221? Maybe it's the
2: key question.
0: Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> Y'all are convincing me. Jeremy, what,
2: what do you think about it, is there a relational
0: correlation between in chapter 5, mm-hmm. keeping in step with the Spirit, and then he follows it right on with let us not become
2: conceited provoking envying each other
0: yeah i think so envy is the one that actually gets the highest level of treatment because uh, he talks about it ha- already talked about it in verse 21 in the list but then almost as if paul really wants to hammer the point down he goes right back to it in verse 26 right right after mm-hmm. talking about living by the spirit it's kind of like it's kind of like a mother with her child going out the door and says don't forget your coat and then you tell them a bunch of other stuff and then she stops again and says, don't forget your coat. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. you know. And uh, the reason, that actually goes into bewitchment. Okay. I mean, we don't have time to unpack that, but um, there's a lot in the literature about, um, one of the reasons why, let's say for instance, um, uh, you have what, what I want. Okay, now we're getting into envy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, And so I will do something to disrupt your life in order to get what you have. So I have now bewitched you. And and so Paul's basically saying, who has bewitched you? So what is he also implying? What is actually going on with these people who are trying to convince you to be circumcised? Doesn't that automatically tell you there's something about you that they want? They're actually, they were impressed by your faith, I think, until you gave in to them. So that's kind of the whole monkeys climbing for the banana thing. Anytime there's something good going on in somebody's life, what does the group want to do? Pull them back down, you know, and, and level things out. And so I think that that's what Paul's getting at right there. These people have bad motives for you. They're not your saviors, you know. That's good. Or is that about time? Okay. Any la- one last question or? Brother. Okay. Let's pray. Is that okay?
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a setup. Yeah. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you that we've had this time just to chew on some some wonderful wonderful ideas meditate reflect and to observe the, the glory and beauty of your scriptures Lord we ask for strength and guidance to make the next step to go from just observing it to figuring out if it's something we can apply not only in our lives but within uh, the lives of the people we love family churches and figure out how we can move these things into our lives in meaningful ways that will uh, allow us to live by the Spirit more and more each day and and be able to push away the the, the lives living by the flesh. To be the glory in these things, this is your gift to us that you've revealed. Thank you. It's in Jesus'
2: name we pray. Amen. Amen.